Welcome to Interviews for Resistance. Since election night 2016, the streets of the U.S. have rung with resistance. People all over the country have woken up with the conviction that they must do something to fight inequality in all its forms. But many are wondering what it is they can do. In this series, we'll be talking with experienced organizers, troublemakers, and thinkers who have been doing the hard work of fighting for a long time. They'll be sharing their insights on what works, what doesn't, what has changed, and what is still the same. I am Sarah Jaffe, your host. Yes, I'm Nina Turner. I'm a former state senator in the great state of Ohio and president of Our Revolution. All right. Um, and so we're talking on a Friday nearly a week ago. Um, a whole bunch of various white supremacist groups descended on Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to start off by asking you sort of your thoughts, especially having been sort of marinating in this for a week. What are your thoughts about what's going on, the national conversation that's been happening since Charlottesville? Yeah, you know, it's, it's heavy. Uh, lots of people are still very raw and rightfully so. I mean, we saw white supremacists, neo-Nazis uh, descend on Charlottesville, Virginia. The night, you know, at, at night was the first display. I think it was Friday night. Mm-hmm. Uh, the yeah. Tiki torches. And it just brought back all the ugliness uh, on, in terms of the history of this country, of what the KKK-inspired type groups did, you know, in, in the late 1800s, 1866, I believe, was when uh, the KKK was founded uh, right after the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which would set black folks free from slavery, this, this, this type, these types of terrorist groups terrorized African-Americans throughout the South. And so to see, to come face-to-face with that kind of legacy in the 21st century is is haunting, disturbing, you know, just raises so many emotions. So this is a heavy time for our country. Yeah. Um, So I wanted to talk a little bit about sort of the the questions of building a really strong anti-racist left movement now because that's obviously more important than ever when you know the president can't bring himself to denounce neo-nazis yes. <laughs> yeah but i'd love your thoughts about the the work that um our revolution is doing the work that other folks are doing to actually build an anti-racist left yes sir, and that is so important and in our revolution we've always had a social political economic environmental justice stream you know, through our work and, and all of the work that we do, we're looking towards, you know, forming that more perfect union. But it is even more necessary now in the face of such overt racism and other groups, too, you know, uh, Democracy for America, Democratic Socialists of America, National Nurses United. I mean, you name it. There are so many, like, formal groups out there doing this work. Uh, Black Lives Matter, but there are other, you know, the Brennan Institute, I mean, some of the institutions, the institutes that, that write and study this kind of stuff, but there are everyday people out there, too, who are who are dismayed, disappointed, and just as horrified that, that we would come face-to-face with this. So our work and our push, we're going to continue to do the things that we've always done, so whether it's Medicare for All, whether it's standing up for to increase, you know, the wage, the minimum wage in this country to $15 an hour, whether it's talking about the private prison industrial complex that benefits, that makes a profit off of keeping folks in prison. And we know that disproportionately those people are black and they are brown and they are poor. But we're also going to have a deeper conversation about 
institutional racism in this country, probably in ways that we might not have touched upon so deeply. We have to talk about that because as much as seeing neo-Nazis marching and KKK-inspired white supremacist groups uh, marching in Charlottesville, Virginia, we still have systemic racism in this country, which is very much a part of our revolution's work, which is to work on changing systems that promote discrimination and it might and 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 bigotry too uh in ways that that hurt uh communities of color particularly african american communities so when you look at wages for example people might not see the 15 dollar minimum wage as a racial justice issue but when you look at wages in this country and the fact that african american women make about 62 cents on every dollar that a white man makes when you look at the fact that most african american led households are led by women, then there is an economic and, and racial and social justice component to wanting to raise the wage. So now as we talk about those issues, Sarah, we're going to talk yeah. about those through that lens. Yeah. Yeah. Just um, bringing people together, yeah. too, Sarah. I just wanted to say that, too. Just we need some healing, too, because as bad as this is, we have always been a nation of progress. So we got to take the good, the bad, and the ugly parts of our history but the beautiful thing that we can say about ourselves as a nation is that we have been a nation of progress, and we're not going to let a neo-Nazi KKK remix of the worst kind stop us from knowing and doing what it is we know that we can do when we come together. We are a nation of progress, and we won't go backwards. We can't allow ourselves to go backwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that brings us to um, the People's Platform. And so... um. I've been really struck by this for a while now, looking at different countries, different places, um, things like the Vision for Black Lives platform, where mm-hmm. these kinds of policy platforms are becoming something that's more and more common that progressives and, and leftists are putting out. Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about just the idea of putting together a platform of not just one issue, not just a couple issues, but actually here's a list of policies that we're going to push for. It's important because people need to see it. They need to be able to to hold it in their hands if they want to, whether it's on a tablet or a piece of paper. But it's the affirmation that we stand for this, that our value pop proposition will be mm-hmm. expressed through public policy. And that is really what the people, people's platform is. Uh, we took bills from, and the reason why we decided to take legislation is because we did want it to be tangible. Sometimes we talk mm-hmm. about these issues you know, in in ways where people can't see that they can be realized. And the beautiful thing about the People's Platform and the coalition that we have of uh, supporting organizations of the People's Platform is that it is tangible, it's real. So, you know, Education for All, you know, bill has been introduced that, you know, will require the federal government to pay two-thirds of college when we know how important that is to make sure that we have a workforce that is either highly educated and highly Healed. That is what this is about. It's about making that kind of investment. Medicare for all, which you know is the signature, was the signature of Senator Sanders' campaign. It is the foundation of what we do. But we're just affirming that we as a country can have Medicare for all. We can create an environment that doesn't leave anybody behind, that's not attached to a job. Imagine how many entrepreneurs, you know, to me, that kind of thing can spark an entrepreneurial spirit. If somebody knows that their health care is not tied to a job, then they can dream bigger. 
and they can yeah. do things that probably they ordinarily would not do. But we picked bills. And what we're saying to the Congress, but particularly to the Democratic Party, to the Democrats that serve in the Congress, is here it is. Your members, our members introduce these pieces of legislation. Sign on to them and let us show the, the, the people of this country, the folks of this country, that this is what we stand for. This is what we are fighting for. And it's important that to have all of these options because for some people, the environment might be the most important thing. To other people, you know, economic justice might be the thing. For other people, racial justice. So we have something in the people's platform for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, so let's talk about a couple of the other, um, you mentioned the health care and the education for all bill. Um, and I think the, the Raise the Wage Act kind of speaks for itself, but let's talk about, yes. um, a couple of the other things on this platform, like the Each Woman Act, um, because this has kind of been an issue of tension for, well, it's a while. The Democrats are constantly saying that abortion is not a litmus test for the party or whatever. So, uh, yeah, I would love for you to talk about that particular one, and, and the importance of you know, saying this is, in fact, something that we think is a foundational issue. No, it is important. You know, I, I you know, we call it, you know, people want to call it a litmus test, and I, that might sound, you know, it's a demand, and if you don't meet it, it's, it's really just a value proposition that women in this country should have equal access to abortion coverage within their health insurance. To me, if I had my, I, this would be, to me, this goes within Medicare for All, but we have a separate mm-hmm. bill, but it is a medical procedure. And it is something that we settled in this country, and this should not be up for debate. It is a medical procedure. And I want people to see it through that lens, that women should have the right to have an abortion. They should be safe. They should be legal. They should be rare. You know, I don't know many people jumping up and down saying abortions for all. That's not the premise of it. And somehow we've lost ground on this debate because I think we talk about it in ways that don't allow people necessarily on the other side who might bend a little to fully understand this. It is a medical procedure. It is something that, you know, um, not much different from, you know, having a mammogram or, you know, going for your annual test. This this is what this is. It is in that universe. And, it's, and the decision has to be made between the woman, her doctor, her family, whatever decision she makes. But it is a medical procedure. And we we have to protect women's access to that. Now, in terms of litmus tests, I understand that there are some Democrats who are pro-life. I get it. But they shouldn't legislate that. So I'm mm-hmm. not going to. I grew up in a very religious family. My mother was an evangelist. So I get it. You know, I was taught from a very young girl that abortion is murder. So some people have been socialized in that way through their religion. I get it. I respect their view. What I don't want to have happen is people who run for office and all of a sudden they're going to decide, they're going to legislate that way. They're going to take women back. And there have been, you know, people like uh, Vice President Biden, you know, who is Catholic, if, I, if I'm correct, mm-hmm. who has, yeah. you know, at times talked about this issue from a personal space, but also understanding as somebody that holds the people's power, that what we do with that power matters. And we should not be doing things that hinder people's ability. Women have this right, and it cannot be taken away, and we have to affirm it. So I see it kind of through two, two different lines. It doesn't mean that a pro-lifer can't run, and, mm-hmm. and but it, what it does mean is that they have to, I would want to see them um, commit to not legislating that way, that they believe yeah. that abort, Roe v. Wade, and they believe that a that a 
abortion, the right to have one or not have one, because women make lots of decisions, but it should be up to, to, the, to the women. And, yes, that is firmly in the people's platform. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the next thing on the list is I'm going down here, but I think this, again, brings us back to what we're talking about when we're starting out with Charlottesville, talking yeah. about the voter voting rights and talking about the decimation of the Voting Rights Act that we've seen in recent years, the attacks yes. on the right to vote on all sorts of levels over the last several years um, that, among other things, helped put Donald Trump in the White House. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, talk about the, the automatic voter registration, but other things also that you'd like to see people focusing in on this issue, because I think, again, it's a, a natural place to look after this weekend, since racist terror was one of the ways that people were prevented from voting for a very long oh, time. Oh, my God. People only knew. I mean, we should really use this moment as a teachable moment to go back through history and not tell revisionist history, let's tell the truth, that African Americans were terrorized just because they wanted to vote, just because they were fighting for liberation and equal rights in this country. It's just as simple as that. That is the stain on America. It's not this, you know, every, you know, we we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Yes, the founders were brilliant, but... They weren't, they didn't mean all when they wrote those words. Now, but the fact that they wrote those words give up, gives us leverage and gives us the opportunity in the 21st century and every generation thereafter to leverage those words. That is what we do. So voting is the greatest equalizer. It's one of the greatest equalizers that we have because it is really truly the only space in this country other than, you know, educational spaces, but that's a whole nother thing, but it's really the only space where you can walk in. It doesn't matter who you are, how much money you have, where you live. You are equal. You're on an equal platform. And to the extent that you have elected officials who have systematically over the last, since since President Obama was elected, chipping away, you know, as a state senator, I served in the legislature in Ohio where my Republican colleagues introduced this piece of legislation, that piece of legislation, not to expand the franchise, but just chip chipping away and just by coincidence these bills uh-huh. you know had uh-huh. a <laughs> impact on guess who? People of color, poor people, students, you know, even even some people who are uh you know have have disabilities. Imagine that. Just happen to be the people who tend to lean when they vote. Just lean that way. You just never know what somebody's going to decide if they get the chance to get there, but they happen to lean Democrat. It is a travesty for anyone who is elected to office, who serves in an elected position, to engage in voter suppression. We need to expand. And so that's what the Voting Rights Act is just a simple, eloquent, you know, piece of legislation that just requires every state, you know, to enroll everyone as a voter who applies when they um, you know, when they when they file for their state motor vehicle, when they go get their driver's license. However, I would like to take that further in some folks in the mm-hmm. pro-voting space is to say, hell, when people are born, let's go and register. Let's do that. Register <laughs> the vote right there and there. You know, how beautiful can that be? The, the yeah. democracy is stronger, is better, is more robust when people participate, and we should want to encourage that. I mean, it really just, in 2016, during a presidential election, so many people opted out. They decided that they weren't going to do it for whatever reason. I think the voter suppression bills has has something to do with it. Gerrymandering has something to do with it. People mm-hmm. now not believing that the system works on their behalf. They don't trust politicians, whether they're Democrats or Republicans. They feel as though they've gotten a bad deal. 
And, mm-hmm. and they're right. They're absolutely right. So what will we do in the political class, those of us I call it the elected ministry, what are we going to do to motivate people to not just mobilize them, but to motivate them and to remind them that this power is their power and that their voice does matter? Because there's an erosion of that, sir. I get why people are frustrated mm-hmm. on all sides. There's a power class here within the Democratic Party and also the Republican Party that says that we know better than you, Mrs. Jones, or you, Mr. Gonzalez. We know better. We're going to tell you what to do and what to think. We're going to lock out working working class men and women across the spectrum. And people are tired of it. So they opted out during a presidential election year. And if that doesn't cause shockwaves for anybody that truly cares about this democracy, that people are just saying, I'm over it. And I don't believe anymore. That's when we're really in trouble. And so saying to folks that their vote does matter, that their voice matters, and making it easier for them to access that ballot box, that is the way we should be going in the 21st century, not backwards. Yeah, yeah. Um, So the one thing that's um, on the the email about the platform, the one thing that's not actually an existing bill that's been introduced in Congress is the climate change bill. So I'd love for you to talk a little bit about the vision um, that you have for what, you know, obviously it's a big job, but um, some of the things that you'd like to see in, in such a bill. Yeah, well, you know, our environmental justice, I mean, just thinking about, and I shouldn't be, because my climate experts have said, you know, environmental justice is a bigger umbrella, but um, I know that Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard is working on introducing that bill, but, and, and hopefully it'll be yeah. introduced this week, but, you know, global warming is, is a real threat to our planet. To, to, to everybody, to everything. And what is our obligation to make sure that we secure Mother Earth for ourselves and for future generations? And that is really hoping that, not hoping, but within that bill, that we will address, you know, the issues of reducing emissions and, and, and making sure that we have renewable energy. That's just one start uh, to, to that deal. But overall, I want to see our revolution, you know, continue to to push for, you know, the reduction of global warming, which I believe that the Congresswoman's bill will tackle, that we should get there by 2034, that we should work to get there, that we should encourage our fellow uh, neighbors in the world to do the same thing, because we certainly cannot take on something like this by ourselves. I mean, when the president ignored, you know, when he pulled out of the Paris Accord, I mean, what does that say? to the world, and, and that many of our Republican colleagues there are just flat out ignoring the science. You know, when the scientists get together and tell you that this is real, we ought to believe them. They're not particularly a, a, a political group or a partisan group. They're just doing their jobs just to flat out ignore that science and puts us all uh, in, in danger. So we, we have to, you know, continue to work to deal with, you know, greenhouse gases, and just all of the things that, that deal with Mother Earth. Water is a part of that, too, even though that won't necessarily be in this bill, but just making sure that everybody in the United States of America has clean water. Hello, Flint, Michigan, you know, which has been the canary in the coal mine for us, excuse the pun, in terms of uh, us not having the types of infrastructure in this country that ensures that from every village, every township, every city, that everywhere in this country, folks have access to clean water. 
So we're going to keep pushing. We're going to do a whole umbrella fare more than what this bill is going to do. But mm-hmm. environmental justice is vitally important to, to uh, the mission of our revolution. Yeah. Excellent. Um, and so let's talk about um, you famously uh, took this platform to the Democratic Party <laughs> and they uh, they kind of didn't treat you very well. I want to I want to ask about that. Yeah, no, they didn't. I, I I don't know why. I mean, we had communicated with them three weeks earlier that we were coming. So we, mm-hmm. you know, wanted to make this a, you know, we, we let them know, hey, we're coming. We're going to deliver the platform. We had a press conference earlier that day, uh, you know, near the, near the Senate. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had Congressman Ellison speak, Congresswoman Jayapal spoke, Congressman Guajava spoke. You know, Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard spoke. I mean, so it was just a beautiful thing. And we just kind of went on a progressive stroll, so to speak. It was a very calm, you know, just kind of walk over to the to the DNC and to be greeted with stun to have security guards out there, too. It was just stunning. And, and it didn't have to go that way. The people's platform is uh, really about the people. And it's something that many of those bills were talked about in the progressive platform that we passed, you know, last summer, it is very much, uh, it, it very much encapsulates what the Democratic Party says that it stands for. And so what happened there was truly unfortunate. But I hope beyond that moment, that day, that the Democratic Party will partner with the organizations who have signed on to the People's Platform to both push and lobby all Democratic Congress members to sign on to those bills so that we can make that progressive platform real and not just some pretty words that we got all excited about last last summer at the convention. Uh-huh. We can take those words and turn them into action, Sarah. And that is really what people are looking for. So it is bigger than what happened. It was unfortunate what happened at the DNC, but I want to uh-huh. take that and, and invite you know, the DNC to join us on the people's platform. We had 115, a little over 115,000 signatures on, on those petitions, people from all walks of life all over this country saying we want a people's platform, and here it is. This is our wheel. Here it is. Join us in this yeah. effort. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it. It. I hate to say it, but it seems sometimes like the resistance to signing on to this stuff is not because – People are opposed to the policies, but it's that they don't like being pushed. Well, my God, how do we get change if not by pushing? You know, I mean, women would have never gotten the right to vote without a fight, a push. My ancestors would not have been free without a push. I mean, let's just think about what status quo has meant generation to generation to generation. And so all the great changes that we've ever had in this nation, for the most part, 99.9% of them came because people were pushed. People with the power were pushed. The status quo was pushed to change the environment by which people have to navigate. So you might not, they might not like the push, but that's what they signed up for. They also signed up to listen to the voices of the people and hear what the people have to say. That power is temporary. It belongs to to the folks in Ohio, belongs to the folks in California or Michigan or, you know, Mississippi. That power does not belong to the person that holds the seat, whether it's local to federal. It belongs to the people. And what we're saying 
that we want our Dem- the Democratic Party to reflect that and to be willing to put something on the line for the citizens of this country. So they might want to call it a push. We want to call it a, a policy agenda. The people, what we call it and what we're calling it is the people's platform. Yeah. So embrace, they yeah. should embrace it. Embrace it. Yeah. And fight yeah. for it. Yeah. Yeah. So last question then, um, what are the plans going forward to organize people around this? Are there lobby days planned? Are there actions, um, anything like that going forward? Yes. So we have had some lobby days. Um, all, the members are on recess right now. And so we've mm-hmm. had lobby days of, across the, the country of folks going and making phone calls. So we're going to continue making calls. We're going to continue to visit offices. And we are preparing for when the members are back. But we do have our membership all over the country making those calls, uh, visiting the local offices. If their members are having any type of town halls, visiting their members there and expressing why the people's platform is important, important, important to pushing our nation forward in a very progressive way that lifts everybody. This is not a platform, even though it's being pushed, you know, by Democrats. It's not just for Democrats. It's for everybody. And the overwhelming majority of Americans, if you take the label off and you just talk about the issue, they agree with these things. They want to see these things. And so I really very much want the Democratic Party to be the party that will have the bold, agenda and that is also willing to push this bold agenda forward because if the democrats won't do it then who will do it we we must continue this fight and so that is what our revolution is about we are about pushing issues pushing progressive candidates and transforming the democratic party holding the democratic party accountable to the value proposition and progress is not always pretty sometimes it's a little messy but At the end of the day, if life is made better, if we can lift anybody a little higher, it is well worth the fight. And that's what we do every single day. Um, as one of our, our, our slogans, I hate to call it a slogan, but one of the things that really motivate us with the, our revolution and just really happy that Senator Sanders had the vision to call upon Americans in this country to stand up and, and create a, a revolution across this country to be, claim their voice, to take back their voice. But, you know, that campaigns end, the revolutions endure. And this is a generational proposition that all of us have an obligation to make this space better for the next generation coming after us. And then this cycle repeats again, that that next generation also has a moral obligation to push and make this country and this world better for the next. And it just, it just continues and continues and never ends. So the people's platform is our way of doing our part to push not only the Democratic Party, but to push the conversation in the political sphere about what it means to make this country better for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so how can people um, find the people's platform and get involved with us? Oh, my goodness, they can go to ourrevolution.com, and when they go there, the People's Platform landing page pops right up. There's also a summerforprogress.com. They can find it there as well. So, please, I, I want everybody to get involved, take whatever part of the people People's Platform that matters the most to them and push for that. And collectively, if we're working towards this this end, we're going to see things change in this country. I really do believe it, though we can't do it without the people. So yeah. join us. Yeah. We want them to join us. 
Interviews for Resistance is a project of Sarah Jaffe with assistance from Laura Fayebois and support from the Nation Institute. You can find more information at necessarytrouble.org. Thanks for listening.